break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here on The Punch-Out 26th of April, 2022. Very happy to be back with you here on the show And we got plenty for you here on the show, as we always do. We're going to be talking about how the city of Chicago has an innovative new program that is making serious inroads into ending community violence without the cops. We're also going to be talking about some glimmers of hope on Texas's death row. But before we get to either of those two very important stories, we want to start with the ongoing crisis in Afghanistan. Afghanistan continues to suffer from serious challenges on the humanitarian and military front in the aftermath of the U.S. withdrawal from the country last year. Even as most of the major media and NATO countries who invaded, destroyed, and occupied the country for years have turned away from the issue. One major issue that is starting to grip the country is a spring offensive by ISIS. On April 21st, nearly 30 people were killed in a bombing of a Shia mosque in Mazar-e-Sharif, One local told journalists from AFP that, quote, blood and fear are everywhere across the streets of Afghanistan, end quote. On the same day in the city of Kunduz, another bomb blast killed 11 people and came just a few days after six were killed at a bombing in a Shia boys' school in Kabul. As they have all around the world, ISIS seems to clearly be attempting to stoke hatred between the Sunni and Shia currents of Islam. Recently in Iran, an Afghan man stabbed several clerics in what Iranian authorities have also deemed to be part of a broader campaign to generate enmity between Iran and Afghanistan and between Sunni and Shia. ISIS clearly seeks to create the maximum amount of chaos possible in order to create more space for their preferred former theocratic state building to emerge. As we've seen in Iraq, in Syria, and in West Africa, ISIS clearly thrives the most when an area's population reaches the highest levels of desperation and despair. Tensions between Pakistan and Afghanistan are also rising following Pakistani airstrikes inside Afghanistan earlier in April. Hundreds protested after one of those strikes killed at least 47 people, including women and children, that, according to locals, were refugees without any ties to what Pakistan deems to be terrorist activity. Afghan government officials have said they won't accept quote-unquote invasions by Pakistan into the country, and Afghan representatives at the United Nations have said that Pakistan is quote, in flagrant breach of international law. Pakistan claims that Afghanistan is harboring militant groups like the Pakistani Taliban that have for years been locked in an extremely brutal conflict with the Pakistani state, including recent attacks on border posts between the two countries. Afghanistan has not quite denied that the Pakistani Taliban are in Afghanistan, but they are denying that they are helping them. And historically, the Afghan Taliban has tended to take Pakistan's side in these conflicts between the government and the Pakistani Taliban. But clearly, the Afghan government feels that Pakistan is acting in a high-handed way, and they are attempting to assert their own sovereignty, which seems likely to raise tensions at the Afghan-Pakistan border and perhaps elsewhere. 
This is all overlaid by a massive humanitarian crisis where 60% of the country is in need of humanitarian aid, quite a bit of which is not forthcoming. This week, the United Nations placed a good chunk of the blame for that on the United States, noting that its freeze of Afghan central bank assets and other sanctions-like measures have been, in their words, quote, overly broad and resulted in, quote, overzealous compliance with sanctions, thus preventing people of Afghanistan from any access to basic humanitarian goods, end quote. The likelihood of the dire situation continuing seems quite high, given that the U.S. and other Western powers are seeking to use the collapsing humanitarian situation to impose policies on the Taliban that they seem unwilling to embrace, even at the cost of mass suffering, creating a stalemate of sorts which unfortunately seems set to condemn the people of Afghanistan to even more suffering. This has been a rare week of hopeful news as it concerns the death penalty, in particular many of rightfully drawn hopes in the case of Melissa Lucio that a stay of execution will set in train the events that will allow her to go free. But also in to Texas death row and flying a bit beneath the radar is another death penalty innocence case, and that's the case of Rodney Reed, long denied any sort of fair hearing in the court system at any level. This week, the Supreme Court of the United States took the first step in clearing the way for important DNA testing that many of Reed's supporters hope will definitively clear his name. Reed was convicted of murdering Stacey Stittis in 1998. Stittis was choked to death with a belt. However, the belt and other crime scene evidence was never tested for DNA. Reed has fought for years for the belt in particular to be tested and been denied at just about every level of the judicial system, including the Supreme Court in these efforts. The major issue being that Reed did not raise his claims in the appropriate time frame, at least according to the legal standard. But of course, he feels very strongly that the DNA testing will free him. So an issue has come before the Supreme Court about what the statute of limitations should be for this kind of DNA testing to be brought up. And if the Supreme Court rules that Reed did not, in fact, wait too long to raise the issue, it seems highly likely he will be able to prevail in court and get the DNA evidence tested. Reed and his supporters have pushed so hard for the testing because there's an abundance of other evidence that he is not guilty and that instead point to Stittis' boyfriend at the time as the one who murdered her. And the DNA testing would really just be even more in this preponderance of evidence that Reed is, in fact, innocent. Of the other issues... One is the timeline as it regards when the murder took place. Evidence has shown Stittis died hours before police originally alleged. The cops came up with the time of death without doing much investigation at all. And in fact, the whole theory of the crime that Reed killed Stittis on her way to work now appears to be borderline impossible based on new evidence that has been unearthed as the various appeals have gone through and the original theory of the crime investigated and relitigated multiple times. There's also the fact that the main DNA evidence that was used against Reed, which is Reed's semen, has now been discredited because the forensic experts have testified that they made serious errors in their original testimony. All these experts testified that his sperm, which was found on her body, could have only been left in the previous 24 hours. But now all of those experts admit they were wrong and that in fact it could have been left as much as three to four days before. And that speaks to another part of Reed's argument, which is that he and Stittis had a consensual relationship, which witnesses corroborate. There's also the fact that witnesses have documented that Fennel, a cop, had threatened to kill Stittis. Not just that, that he had threatened to choke her with a belt, 
which, as we mentioned before, is exactly how she was killed. There's another witness that said they heard Fennel, the abusive boyfriend and also cop, say at Sidis' funeral that she, quote, got what she deserved. And there was also a downstairs neighbor who said they fought a lot. And, additionally, Fennel was jailed in 2007 for kidnapping and raping another woman, and one of his cellmates in prison has also given a statement that Fennel admitted he killed Stittis. All Reed is asking for is a new trial to consider all the evidence above. The Texas Court of Criminal Appeals is set to rule on that issue, but has not announced when. Currently, Reed has no execution date, as the state seems to be waiting to see what the outcome of these various court cases are in terms of both the new trial and DNA testing. But hopefully the Supreme Court of the United States will rule that the DNA testing on the belt and other evidence can take place, which in conjunction with the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals granting a new trial would very much open the door to Rodney Reed's innocence being proclaimed in a court of law. Regardless of how it all plays out, it's very clear that Rodney Reed is a victim of serious injustice, at the very least, deserves his day in court. Well, there's quite a bit of conversation around the country about a so-called spike in violence or crime wave happening across the country. Regular listeners of this show know we've taken issue with the whole campaign around a so-called crime wave. However, we have also noted to the extent that we do need to address things like homicides and shootings, it's questionable if the police and mass incarceration are an actually effective solution. And now from Chicago, we have even more evidence for how community-based outreach programs that don't use the cops can show big results. A new evaluation of the outreach program Ready Chicago which, by the way, is privately funded and receives no public funds, reveals that those involved in the program were nearly two-thirds less likely to be arrested for a shooting or homicide and nearly 20% less likely to be shot or killed themselves than a similar group of men that weren't in the program. This is particularly notable because a third of the participants had been shot at least once before enrolling and had an average of 17 arrests, putting them in the highest-risk category to shoot or be shot. And that's not to mention the fact that they were drawn from neighborhoods that collectively are responsible for a quarter of all murders in the city of Chicago. And again, this was all done without the cops or the courts. And further, participants who were referred to the program rather than picked from a algorithmically determined list based on essentially who has been arrested in Chicago saw even better results with shooting and homicide arrests dropping nearly 80% and shootings and killings by almost half. So again, just to summarize here, without the cops, without the courts, without the prisons, a community-based program was able to reduce shootings and killings by 20 to 50 percent in 18 months in Chicago's quote-unquote toughest neighborhoods. By any measure, that is an amazing statistic instead of results, and it makes you wonder, well, what did this program do? Well, some elements are consistent with other programs of this type around the country, where participants are paid $15 an hour for the time they are participating in various program activities, which include intensive work to connect people to educational and job opportunities. But Ready Chicago added a unique aspect, and that is cognitive behavioral therapy, five one-hour sessions a week to be exact. The results of this evaluation show that so much of how quote-unquote crime is communicated in the U.S. has no real basis on what's really happening, and thus the proposed solutions, more cops, tougher sentences, and so on, end up being totally ineffective. And here we have even more key evidence that rather than the broken mass incarceration approach, rapid, substantive inroads can be made on community violence by focusing on mental health, education, and employment opportunities. Which in the end should really be a wake-up call. Rather than try the same old policies to address quote-unquote crime, why not try something new that clearly helps end violence and improves and heals communities?
That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. Yeah.